right, take a copy of God's Word. Open up to Matthew chapter 13 this morning, please. Matthew chapter 13, and beginning in verse 51 as we finish chapter 13 of Matthew's Gospel with some words that are incredibly important for us to understand as we consider what we have historically described as believer's baptism. What does it mean, believer's baptism? What does it mean to believe? It's everything in life in Christ. Without belief, there is nothing we can do. With belief, all things are possible. And look at the words that Jesus gives as he closes out this chapter. After seeing these miracles, after hearing from the crowds, this is what he says to them, beginning in verse 51 of chapter 13. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. He said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And I want you to notice verse 58. Mark it in your Bible if you haven't done so before. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You know, Jesus consistently saves his harshest rebuke for the Pharisees because of their refusal to believe. So in the kingdom of God, you're always responsible for what you've seen and also what you've heard. And the measure of that responsibility is in how you respond. And so Jesus says to them, have you understood all these things? He says, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house, bringing out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And so Jesus is teaching from the perspective of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Testament, the New Covenant. And it says when he had finished these parables, he went away from there, coming to his hometown, he taught in the the synagogue, the Jewish learning center of the day, so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this insight? Where did he get these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? I know his mom. Isn't she called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? Where then did he get all these things? In other words, who are you, Jesus? You know, in the ancient world, the importance stood entirely in the bloodline. We say nowadays it doesn't matter what your name is. You can make it if you work hard enough and try hard enough, and we don't know whether that's actually true or not, but that's what we say. But in the ancient world, it it didn't matter what your abilities were. Everything that mattered was your lineage, your bloodline. And so Jesus has that earthly bloodline born of the Virgin Mary, but the problem comes... Because people actually know who he is and they think he's just another ordinary one of them. I can remember trying to help my sister learn how to drive. She was she's six years younger than me. And so I was old enough to be able to teach her and we'd get in there and she'd get in the driver's seat 
and every other, you know, every other phrase I'm hollering at her, stop the car, let me out, hit the brake, you know, turn, look at the head of the vehicle. And finally, she just said, you know, you, you don't have to do this. What, what makes you so upset? I'm not a bad driver. And I would say, because I remember when you th- were three and what you did with the tricycle. I mean, I remember what you did. I'm worried my, my life is, is in my hands here. It's sort of like coming back to, to your home church where we used to have the living Christmas tree every year. And one year, you're a, you're a kid and it gets hot in there and you're feeling sick and you vomit in the tree and everybody lets you know about it for the next 30 years. But I'm, I'm not bitter about that. This is what these people are, are doing. It's the same thing. Even his own brothers don't come to faith until after the resurrection. They say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? This foolish carpenter from some little backwoods family is going to save the world. Can you hear their taunts? Who do you think you are, Jesus? You're not anything special. And the same scene begins to play out in John 6, 41. Someone said they have the greatest privilege of human history to be in the hometown of the Messiah, but that privilege is their undoing. The old expression is true. Familiarity breeds contempt. And certainly there's some pride and envy involved, but the miracle of the Gospels is that the people who actually knew Jesus still didn't believe. In fact, it's worse than that because verse 57 tells us they took offense at him. He made them mad. Anybody talking about gentle, loving Jesus who wouldn't offend anyone, think again. And Jesus says to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, in his own household. So remember, Jesus will come unto his own. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. And yet to that faith of that Roman centurion, I have not seen faith in all of Israel. And so sometimes it's easier for those outside of the family to believe than those who are inside the family. Just as the people rejected the words of Isaiah and Jeremiah, so now they reject the words of Christ. In fact, Jesus will later say through a parable he tells, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they listen to my words, though one rise from the dead. In other words, if you can't believe him right now, you're going to have a hard time believing him then. Some people say, well, if God is real, show me a sign. Let him strike me with lightning. First of all, what kind of a God would he be to have to respond to you? And second, even if he were to do such a thing, Jesus could physically walk into this room right now, and according to the gospel, people would still not believe. Not only do they reject the message, though, they reject the messenger. You remember that no prophet had spoken in Israel for hundreds of years before John the Baptist, and yet John is beheaded and Jesus will be crucified. And the most condemning verse, perhaps in all the Gospels, is in verse 58 of chapter 13. He did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Does that verse haunt you like it does me? In all the Gospels, why isn't God working? Well, first of all, he's working in ways that you can't see. But beyond that, he doesn't work in people who don't believe. So Jesus has talked about sowing that seed, about separating the wheat from the chaff between those who accept his message, those who reject it, and now that scene plays out right in front of him, and many actually even reject him to this 
we say, how could first century Jesus know about living in the 21st century? So they reject his authority. They say, how can I possibly live for Jesus every moment of every day? So they reject his power. How can I possibly believe that Jesus doesn't want exactly what I want? So they reject his word. Maybe I can live however I want. Jesus is supposed to be loving. He won't mind. And what happens is you started out worshiping Jesus as the son of God, professing your faith in him as savior of the world and yet you blaspheme him by the complete evidence in your daily life that he's powerless to do anything in and through you. Don't put a precious moments figurine on my desk. I'll throw it at you. We have so merchandised Jesus. We've domesticated what faith is, is all about. We tried to make it reasonable. We tried to make it acceptable. We tried to water it down. We tried to make it seeker sensitive and friendly. And God says there is coming a point where you have to believe or you have to not believe. You've either got to get on the bus or get off the train. But it's coming because he will one day separate the wheat from the chaff. Could it be that the way is God is working and the way they wish he would work are opposing realities. What happens when God's work doesn't look like what it's supposed to look like? Here's the danger. The danger is that we would become so focused on what God is not doing that we miss out on what he is doing. And so all of these churches that talk about the glory days and yesteryears and all that God did back then, aren't focused on what he's doing right now or aren't willing to do what it takes to make sure that it gets done right now. Friends, if you're spending more of your life looking backwards than you are looking forwards, I'm telling you, whatever you're doing, you're not in the will of God. We're to look ahead, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth into the things which are before. I press toward the mark. Bible says whatsoever is not of faith is sin. It's the cry of that sinner, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. So why do you disobey God in your heart of hearts? Why do you know what to do and yet you fail to do it? Or sometimes you know what not to do and yet you continue to do it. The reason that you disobey is ultimately because you don't believe. You don't believe. You don't believe that Jesus is better. You don't take God at his word. You don't have gratitude for him in the little things. And it, by the way, if you don't praise him for the little things, you're not going to praise him for the big things. If you don't give when you have a little, you're not going to give when you have a lot. That's the reason you come to church. That's the reason you give. That's the reason you tell other people about Jesus because God ultimately rewards belief and punishes unbelief. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I think about Elisha's servant surrounded by the enemy saying, we're going to die. And Elisha saying, God, open his eyes and see the chariots of the Lord and the angel of God surrounding us. Do you have the ability to see God in the little things? You know, we need to believe now more than we ever have. And how is belief validated? By how we live, by our actions. Measure what you schedule and what you spend. It'll tell more about your life than anything else. You know, it's interesting. In the Old Testament, this happens too. 
The spies go into the land of Canaan. Twelve of them do. Ten of them come back and saying they're too big. And the other two come back and say they're too small for our God. What's your perspective? What is your belief? See, God isn't hostile to sinners, only to unbelief. Do you take God at his word? Do you believe? How do I demonstrate that belief? By living out his word in every area of my life, by being faithful in his house, by serving him in every way imaginable, because I believe that what God said is true back then, is true right now, and will be true until eternity. Father, I pray right now that in this time that you've given us, we would not simply take for granted what we've seen or what we've heard or what you're doing among us, but Lord, over and over again, you call us to believe. Be not afraid, only believe. Father, I pray that we would be reminded that it is not how much, how faith, how much faith we have that is important, but who our faith is in. Lord, this day, every day, help us to trust in Jesus. Lord, my prayer, if there's someone here who isn't believing you, who isn't taking you at your word, may you help them to do that. Maybe they need to follow you in salvation. Maybe they need to repent of their sins and place their faith in you. Maybe they need to follow you in believer's baptism. Father, maybe they need to become a part of this church. Maybe they need to surrender in some aspect of their life. But Lord, as you begin to convict their heart, I pray that it would not be true of Glendale what it was true of Jesus' hometown. Did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Help us to believe. Help us to understand there's a harvest. And therefore, we have to work the fields. We can't sit around. We can't be idle. We can't think to ourselves, someone else will do it. God, burden our hearts so that when we complain about something that's going on or we see a need that maybe we're the answer to that prayer. Father, use us, I pray. Give us an urgency. Help us to see that Jesus is coming. And we've got a lot to do until he comes. It's in his name we pray. Amen.